Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's February 28th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by fellow cheesehead John McCormick and by Haley Bird of the Weekly Standard. How are you doing today? I'm guessing that both of you had a better day than Jared Kushner. Uh, yes, it's a great day. Sun is shining. Nope. It's a lovely day here in Washington. No, nobody stripped you of, uh, of any of your access to anything at the Weekly Standard. Not me, maybe Haley. You, no, you haven't not, done that. Not yet. Uh, okay, we're going to get to that a little bit later. By the way, I l- learned two things today that actually might be valuable. Do you know that there's actually something called the the Mueller Risk Index? It's this uh, this AI powered index that produces a daily reading of the danger to uh, to the Trump administration incorporates a range of sources, breaking news, polling, and legal filings. And so you can actually track this, whether or not it's going to have an impact on the stock market. So there's 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 an index for absolutely everything. And the other thing, which I think is going to be particularly useful for you guys, is um, the story in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, how pundits can always be right. And I'm guessing, John, because you've done a lot of cable TV, you, you probably figured this out. Yeah. That... That, I mean, that any any time you want to make a bold call while covering your rear end, you just say that something has a forty percent chance of happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the actually the, the better pundit trick is to go all in and say something is a total certitude because everyone can tell that a forty percent prediction you're kind of hedging your bet. So the the key is really you need to make uh, two different contradictory predictions with complete and total confidence. But do it like a month apart, and people will forget. Hopefully, they'll forget your false, you know, and you because no one's going to remember what you said. But you can always point back to the correct prediction. So I think there were a, a lot of people who now say that they predicted that Trump was going to win. I think they predicted he was going to win and that he was. Going going to lose about four or five different times uh, each way. But they said it confidently and and, and loudly each time. I do, I, I'm going to try this 40% thing because, you know, if, if it happens, then, then you're really, really smart. If it doesn't happen, you could say, well, you know, I did tell you that the odds were against it. So I'm going to go out on a limb uh, right now and say that there's a 40% chance the Democrats are going to win that special congressional election in Pennsylvania. Because, of course, I have no idea whatsoever. Haley Bird, you've uh, actually been writing about that. Uh, I see that Chris Saliza is calling that the uh, canary in the coal mine for the Democrats. So give me the state of play in uh, this special election. This is a seat that that ought not to be in play. Uh, big, big Trump district. Uh, Romney won it by uh, double digits. And yet at least the conventional wisdom says that uh, this thing is close. Is it? It is pretty close. So recently there was a Monmouth University poll that put uh, the Republican Rick Saccone just three points ahead of Connor Lamb, who is the Democrat. And the Cook Political Report uh, changed it from a Republican-leaning district to a toss-up, I believe, this week. So it is closer than people initially expected. Uh, Republicans who I talk to like to say that, you know, we expected this to be close because it's a special election. we were expecting this the whole time. But uh, it is true that Connor Lamb, the Democrat, has been outraising Rick Saccone in the district. Um, he has a lot of enthusiasm among unions in, in the area, which is uh, a strong voting force there. And Saccone is sort of split with Republican uh, Republicans from the area in sort of alienating those unions. Um, Republicans say that they want him to be true to himself in that. But it is, you know, a departure from previous conventional wisdom. So is this all about uh, Donald Trump? Is it is it a referendum on Trump or are there particular issues um, relevant locally? It's it's not really about Trump at all. Uh, I, mm. The people I spoke to, pretty much all of them were Trump supporters in 2016. 
Uh, but a lot of them are, you know, planning to vote for Lamb. Their support for Trump hasn't diminished. Um, hmm. But they, you know, some of them are just distrustful of people who have been in power. Sacone has been in the state legislature since, I, I believe, 2011. He was elected in 2010. Um, and, and others are just wanting, like, a fresh face. Connor Lamb is a local golden boy, basically. He was in the Marine Corps. He worked as a prosecutor in Pittsburgh after that. Um, so he just has this like positive image that Sacone is sort of contending with right now. And you've yeah, also so, got the, I mean, you've got, I'm sorry, go ahead, John. You've, you've got the incumbent uh, or the, the disgraced Republican, uh, Tim Murphy, who is involved in this huge scandal where, you know, he was had an affair with an aide. And when there was a pregnancy scare, she was not pregnant, but encouraged her to get an abortion. And so I do think you have seen in these special elections where there were a scandal pops up, uh, a, a candidate will perform even worse. Uh, I, for, I forget who it is now, but there was a, there was a Brooklyn, was it Massa? Was that the name? The Democrat in New York. And then there was an upstate Republican. And uh, both seats flipped. And so obviously it, it can tell us this this race can tell us something about the state of, uh, you know, politics. But I think that Republicans will do even worse uh, than they would just because this this Republican uh, incumbent Republican scandal uh, is hanging over their head. Um, but it does seem to be a, definitely a toss up. I mean, I think it's it's fun to uh, tweak pundits for saying something as a 40 percent chance. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, readers of polls need to realize that when a, when a poll is three points either way, you know, that really is a toss. It does mean there's something like a 30 or 40 percent chance that it could go either way. And I think that people have this sense, you know, everyone was shocked that Alabama ended up, you know, voting for Doug Jones. But if you looked at the final polling average, uh, Doug Jones was uh, down by 2.5 percentage points. And if you look at the last decade or so of races, that when a candidate is within three percentage points, the, the races, you know, one out of two, one out of three times, they end up going for the person who, the, the, the results, uh, end up going for the person who was trailing. So I do think it is important to just to hedge our bets when, when they actually, are, there is a good reason to hedge your bets. And so this really does look like a toss up. Yeah, I, I suppose it's obligatory to ask about how the gun issue is playing in this particular uh, district. This is a district that uh, Donald Trump won by 20 points. Uh, so um, is 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 Connor is Connor Lamb pushing for gun control in this special election, Haley? This is something interesting about Connor Lamb. He um, is actually a lot more conservative on guns than he is on other issues like abortion. Um, I spoke to him the other day. He would not endorse raising the lim- the age limit to purchase rifles to 21. Uh, it's currently 18. But he also said that he wouldn't support a 20 week abortion ban. So he's he's sort of you know staking his uh, claim to being conservative on gun rights. Uh, We'll see just how far that goes to convince Republicans to look past the D next to his name on the ballot. Um, But Saccone, of course, you know, shares that. The Republican talking point is that Connor Lamb is sort of faking these conservative views um, on guns and, and other issues. Yeah, but but once once again, the Democrats seem to have done a pretty good job in recruiting a non-scary candidate to run in these kinds of elections. You're pointing out he's a former Marine. He's taking some of the more conservative positions. He's kind of the formula that we've seen Democrats using effectively in some of these special elections. Yeah, exactly. And I think if if this is successful, it'll sort of help define a playbook for them to use in 2018 for some of their 
uh, more more difficult elections. And it'll be interesting to see if if there is some pushback among the left, among in primaries, among Democrats who are pro gun. I mean, be, running pro gun Democrats or anti assault weapons Democrats was part of the Democratic playbook from really from you know two thousand two thousand four. People, I mean, Bill Clinton blamed the ninety four Republican Revolution on the assault weapons ban. You had a lot of liberals, uh, columnists, and Democratic congressmen saying that the reason Al Gore lost, the reason John Kerry lost, was guns. And so you saw an intense intentional uh, push among Democrats to run pro-gun pro-gun candidates. I think the number of uh, NRA-backed Democrats some doubled between 2004 and 2006. Um, and when the assault weapons ban came up the last time in 2013, Democrats, I think I made this point on the last time I was on here, Democrats uh, had a 10-seat, you know, they, there were 10 more Democrats than Republicans in the Senate, and the assault weapons ban failed by 20 votes. 40 to 60, um, such as, and a lot of those Democrats who opposed it were blue state, purple state Democrats, uh, both New Mexico senators, uh, Michael Bennett from Colorado, which had just experienced the Aurora uh, school shooting. So it, it really remains to be seen. There's a lot of energy right now in the press and the media uh, on the issue of gun rights. But until Democrats uh, really get involved in these primaries and consolidate the party behind this, I don't think you're going to have much movement on something like the assault weapons ban. You know, this is a really interesting point because, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I do remember when Democrats made that decision. And the decision was was very practical, that if you, you wanted to win elections in places like rural Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you had to downplay the gun issue. And they did up until uh, 2016. And I, I, I do think that a lot of Democrats um, underplayed the significance of the gun of the gun issue uh, in Hillary Clinton's defeat. I remember watching the debate, one of the debates, when she made it very clear that she would appoint a Supreme Court justice who would overturn the Heller decision. And at that moment, I thought, oh, boy, that is not going to play well in, uh, you know, upstate, rural Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, all the areas that, in fact, she did very badly. And so th this is a real conundrum for the, the Democrats, because there, there's a lot of this this energy uh, that appears to be out there, but I wonder whether this is, uh, you know, confined to people who are going to vote Democrat anyway. And the voters that they lost in 2016, the rural voters, um, they're they're they're, they're going to stick with the guns. Well, now, on this issue of of guns, and of course, you know, one of the narratives is that okay, this time might be different. One of the things we're seeing, and I think it's really interesting, is the role of corporate America on, on a number of issues. They've gotten much more active. And so you've had one major company after another, uh, I won't say boycott the NRA, but drop uh, drop their uh, specific deals with NRA members, uh, discounts for NRA members, uh, Dick Sporting Goods announced that it would immediately end sales of assault-style weapons and high-capacity magazines and says it's not going to sell uh, guns to anybody under the age of 21, no matter what the local laws are. It's going to continue to you know, sell uh, sport and, and hunting firearms. Um, this is generating a backlash. In Georgia, the lieutenant governor, the Republican lieutenant governor, says that he's going to kill any tax break for Delta Airlines um, after the airline dropped its discount for NRA members. So give me your sense of how this is going to play out and how conservatives should react to uh, companies lining up to basically to take a whack at, uh, at the NRA. 
Well, I think this just further entrenches us as a culture war issue where both sides are dug in and we're no longer talking about policy. We're talking about whether each side is good or evil and trying to bully the other. I, I do think there is a contradiction here where you have gun control advocates saying, uh, you know, we don't want to take this out on individual NRA members. We have a problem with the NRA as an institution. But the practical effect of, you know, getting Alamo car rental to end its relationship is that you know, some gun owner ended up paying a few more dollars for his 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 rental car and feels like he's besieged. So I, I do think it's a mistake. I, uh, Ross Douthat has a great column today in the New York Times. I, I think the title is Woke Capital. And it's about how all these corporations, uh, they basically end up throwing sops uh, to the left to appease Democrats on social issues while really, you know, not improving uh, their, their, their labor practices. And so, you know, the thing that hmm. comes to mind is how, uh, you know, businesses really just went in, you know, guns blazing in Indiana back in, what was it, 2015, 2016, on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which, as I've written about, is a, is a fairly mm-hmm. non-controversial law that exists in a couple dozen states and the federal level, and it, it imposes a, a balancing test where sometimes uh, a religious liberty interest uh, outweighs a particular law, and sometimes it doesn't. And there was speculation about whether how this would apply um, to... Uh, you know, anti-discrimination laws as it applies to, um, you know, LGBT anti-discrimination laws. We don't even really know if it could could allow someone to be exempted in, in the wedding industry, but it, it was amazing how how forceful, uh, you know, these lo- activist groups got business to go in and say, you know, we're not, we're going to take out, we're going to leave Indiana if you don't uh, kill this law or, or repeal it effectively right now. It was amazingly effective. So what about, uh, Haley, what about the the, the the push to have government retaliation where the conservatives need to fight back against companies that uh, that do this. Uh, I, I thought uh, uh, Tim Carney had a pretty uh, interesting column in the Washington Examiner where he talks about this. He said, you know, Delta is a private company. It clearly has every right to sever its special contractual relationship with the NRA. It's not as if the airline is refusing to carry NRA members as a common carrier. That, of course, would be inappropriate. It would be akin to a public accommodation, say a baker refusing to sell a cake to somebody who was in the NRA, but a discount for NRA members is not a matter of common carrier behavior. It's a discrete contractual arrangement. Uh, and pointing out that here you really now have this uh, this 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 push to um, retaliate against uh, companies for these positions. Uh, how should conservatives regard this? I mean, I believe conservatives in the past have advocated for using the market uh, when politics doesn't cut it and it doesn't look like Congress is, you know, going to do what liberals are asking for in this case. Um, I think that using government to retaliate against companies for ending benefits for NRA members is sort of questionable um, because, like, as you said, it's it's ending benefits and not ending, like, uh, equal treatment for them. Instead, it's, you know, instituting equal treatment between them and non-NRA members, which um, I think is getting lost in all the noise here. Yeah, I think I would go beyond questionable to uh, this is exactly what conservatives do not want <laughs> government to be doing to private industries. Um, it, it is sort of despotic, the, the you know picking winners and losers, and you better give a favored treatment to this. I mean, you could certainly imagine a period in which um, 
businesses are coerced to give special deals to uh, Planned Parenthood when the Democrats are in charge, uh, special deals to uh, the NRA when Republicans are in in charge. Um, I want to move on to, to talk about uh, the, the president tweeting about the attorney general and Jared Kushner's horrible day. But I want to give a shout out to uh, one of uh one of our um, one of our uh, advertisers, Away Travel. I don't know whether you've heard about them. Um, Away Travel uses high quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands uh, for luggage. Your luggage should not cost more than your plane ticket, and Away Travel's luggage is designed with the highest quality materials and uh, all still under three hundred bucks. For $20, if you want $20 off a suitcase, this is a special deal, visit Away Travel. It's one word, awaytravel.com slash standard20. That's standard, then the number's two zero. And use promo code standard20 during checkout. And you can choose from a variety of colors and five sizes. There's the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large for extended stays, the kids carry-on. Uh, all the suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, and very lightweight, which, by the way, if you've uh, ever watched how the baggage handlers at, uh, say, I don't know, LaGuardia or O'Hare throw around your luggage, you, you would want something like this. Um, the TSA-approved combination locks are built into the top of the bag to prevent theft. Removable, washable laundry bags keep dirty clothes separate from clean. Uh, these things are very, very special. So, again, for $20 off a suitcase, Visit awaytravel.com slash standard20. Use promo code standard20 during checkout. That's one more time. That's awaytravel.com standard20. Use promo code standard20 at checkout for $20 off any suitcase. All right, uh, John McCormick, uh, the president is tweeting again, and he is ridiculing and attacking his own attorney general. Uh, We use the words uh, bizarre and unprecedented a lot, but um, I think it was Maggie Haberman from the New York Times who pointed out that the president, uh, the president uh, seems to be tweeting as if he's not the president uh, who has the ability to fire the attorney general. Um, what is the end game here? What what does what does Donald Trump want Jeff Sessions to do? Uh, you know, I think uh, Bill Kristol got it right, and on on Twitter he pointed out he thinks that Trump is too scared to just forthrightly fire Jeff Sessions, but desperately wants him to leave on his own accord, so he can put someone in who would either fire or uh, somehow restrain the Mueller investigation. So I think that's kind of what it is, or it's just lashing out, and he's angry and emotional, and he, when he has feelings, he wants the whole world to know. Yeah, no, this of course is the uh, is the decision to have the uh, the inspector general look at uh, whether there's any sort of uh, a FISA abuse. Um, you do, yeah, I I, I agree with uh, with, with uh, Bill Crystal's analysis there, but uh, um, the I'm trying to remember any time in American political history where the president of the United States has so frequently humiliated his own attorney general, you know, whether he's called him beleaguered or disgraceful. Now, this comes uh, the day after the White House uh, downgraded Jared Kushner. This is really an extraordinary story when you think about it. The president's uh, son-in-law loses his uh, top secret clearance. Um, and the Washington Post, uh, with this extraordinary story of uh, about a number of countries that apparently – had been actively speculating about the various ways in which they could manipulate Jared Kushner, including because of his business relationships, uh, his business uh, entanglements, and and his incredible uh, debt. 
Um, again, give me your sense of how big a problem this is in the White House and where do you think this is going? Objectively, I don't know how much uh, how much of a problem it is. I think that Trump has gotten away with a lot of hypocrisy, <laughs> obviously. I mean, Hillary Clinton, what was the big issue? One of the big issues in the campaign, the security risk presented by a private email server. And now you have basically someone called Jared Kushner, this this walking security risk where not only his business dealings, uh, it, it's his lack of knowledge. I mean, Jared Kushner is in this job, this incredibly important job in the White House, not because he has any particular knowledge or skill or experience with foreign policy. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't he didn't know anything about politics before, you know, Donald Trump was elected president's father in law. So he is there simply because of his relationship and his portfolio is supposedly, uh, you know, Israeli Palestinian peace. Good luck with that. Um, it, it, it's not clear exactly why he needed uh, such a high level you know, top secret security clearance in the first place. Most in most of the issues that I don't think you necessarily need to know the day to day uh, security threats uh, at a top secret level to to deal with that issue. It's just that he ends up freelancing and sort of play, plays a much broader role in in, in, in with he and his wife uh, in guiding uh, their father and father in law uh, on on various policies. You know, the, the, there's one line in this uh, in, the, in this Washington Post story that sort of jumps out. Officials in the White House were concerned that Kushner was, quote, naive and being tricked in conversations with foreign officials, some of whom said they wanted to deal. Uh, they wanted to deal only with Kushner directly and not with more experienced personnel. In some ways, this is the least surprising story. You bring in people who have no background whatsoever, the the amateur hour. And of course, uh, we know that uh, Jared Kushner had access to that uh, daily intelligence uh, br briefing. But in, in this uh, battle of power, if, if in fact uh, there, there is uh, there is one going on now between uh, John Kelly and Ivanka and Jared, who would you put your money on, uh, Haley Bird? Honestly, there is very little that I could care less about than this. Um, <laughs> are we talking? It's just so ridiculous that this is how they're spending their time. We're referring to the Ivanka Trump versus General Kelly issue here, correct? Yes. Yes. It's This has been going on for, I believe, months, this sort of feud between them. And uh, Ivanka and Jared initially, I believe, brought in Anthony Scaramucci because they wanted him, you know, to eventually become chief of staff. Genius uh, move. Genius move. He was also from New York. He had very little experience in politics, so they thought he would be on their side. Uh, you have Scaramucci tweeting this morning uh, that Kelly should step down, so he is still on their side. But it's just, it just seems to me as if the White House is living in a different reality in which they are not focused on the... Um, issues that Americans are focused on, such as gun control and the, these other things that are going on in, in the country, but they're focused on, you know, their own personal feuds, uh, which just becomes tiresome at some point. Uh, yeah, very tiresome. Uh, well, uh, I'm going to uh, go down a limb and say that I think there's a 40% chance uh, that uh, the General Kelly will not survive this <laughs> fight with, uh, with, with Jared Navanka. And I am, I am prepared to plant that flag. Hey, thanks for uh, joining me, both of you, uh, John McCormick and Haley Burden. Thanks for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. We will be back tomorrow. We'll do this all over again. I'm Charlie Sykes.